0: Welcome to Pablo Held Investigates, where I talk to my musical heroes and peers about their creative process and their music. If you like this podcast, please consider supporting me at patreon.com pabloheld. And to keep informed about the interviews, my music and everything else that I'm up to, subscribe to my newsletter at pabloheld.com. Okay, let's start investigating.
1: I was fighting the instrument uh, I mean every musician wrestles with his or her instrument as they're learning to play it um, but I uh, uh, I just wasn't satisfied with with the way things were were coming out when I when I would when I would hear something back
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, it, if, if it if it felt brittle or or pushed or or sounded brittle, Um, this bothered me. So uh, part of the relaxation was uh, the process of just trying to improve the tone I was getting on the instrument. And that also, I think, then began to affect uh, the way the the music felt rhythmically, and and then this just became a a, a combined result. Um, So... uh, for me as a drummer, uh, tone was kind of the doorway, mm-hmm. um, t- t- towards, uh, playing a way that works for me. Uh, you know, everyone finds the way that works best for them. Sure. Uh, I think when I was younger, I might've felt like, "Oh, here are some absolutes. If, if you do it this way, it's right. If you do it this other way, maybe it's not right. Um, we all have to find what's right for us. Uh, and, I think also uh, Pablo, that that some of the work I was able to to do in in theater in in providing music for plays, and then being able to to watch uh, actors in the process of rehearsal and, and in multiple performances. I just learned a little bit more about the physicality of 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 this instrument. mm-hmm right Everyone has a smartphone now, just about. Uh, so a simple suggestion when you practice or when you do a gig, you know, make a video recording of some of that and then listen to it. And if you like the way everything sounds fine, if anything truthfully bothers you, then maybe look at the way you're moving at that time, uh, at that time. Yeah. And then you might just go, Hmm. Maybe mm. there's a maybe there's just a better way to do this.
0: When was the first time you saw a video of yourself playing?
1: I was uh, on tour with the Stan Kenton band. Yeah, and this was it was 1973, I think. A, a, a high school. Uh, they had a, a fairly ambitious music program, and they were using a, a very early video system that uh, Sony made. And anyway, uh, wow, they're videotaping this. So I, I, I watched it, and then I was shocked at how jerky I seemed to be moving.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And it, it just, it really bothered me. It took me quite a few years to, to lose that quality in my movement. Um, how, did you, how did you do that? A, a lot of it had to do uh, when I went back to university, and my professor was was really trying to get me to uh, to not hit the instrument so hard. Mm. Um, spoken direction worked to to some degree. Then he he changed his tact or approach, and we focused on on tone, on sound mm. production. Yeah, but that still didn't quite do it. Once I got behind the drum set, you know, I, I could in theory. Play a triangle at yeah. mezzo piano or, or 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 get a pretty decent sound out of a drum, but not in practice when I was faced with all the challenges and the panic of of having to play. So the first indication was was uh, something that Wayne Shorter said to me, and I talk about this in the book. Um, this is a, a day I think after my first really. Great concert with Weather Report, and 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 some of this concert is represented on that legendary uh, tapes uh, yeah. for CD collection of, of Weather. I Report. love that one. And, and and you know, so for you know my second or third night on the band, it was it was good, and we were all excited about what this seemed to hold for the future. But anyway, I'm telling a story on 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 the bullet train, the, the high speed train. We're mm-hmm. traveling from Osaka. Back to Tokyo. We're in a public car and I, I'm aware that there are other people. So my instinct is probably I don't want to disturb the other people while we're hanging out. And I'm telling a story to, to Joe and Wayne and Jocko. And to emphasize part of the story, I went, ah. and and then, man, boy, just like that. And Wayne reached out and touched oh, yeah. me. And he said, He said, no, man, not like that like that but I mean he really clapped loudly Uh, so uh, okay I I knew he was trying to tell me something I'm trying to figure it out then one night after a show Joe Zavano came up to me and he goes you know man you were playing this beat tonight Uh, didn't sound right and I turn around and look at you didn't look right neither yeah I said what do you mean he said oh you got your shoulders all hunched up and shit and so um, shoulders hunched up is a state of tension.
0: Yeah, totally. Right.
1: You know, and and that also that puts your your elbow. I'm trying to see my you know, elbow yeah. out here. Um, the thing that we teach in beginning drumming, uh, I'll stand up for a second. You know, I'm, I'm walking, and then I bend my arms at the elbow, and you see this nice natural curve of the fingers. Yeah. Uh, and, and as we're showing this to the students, I'll say, oh, you know what? Um, I forgot something. We, we should wash our hands. So we pretend to wash our hands. Yeah. Soap and water. And then I, I, I tell them, ah, we have no paper towels. What do we do? So they do this. Yeah. And, and you'll see as I do this, that my elbows are by my side. I'm not. You know, yeah, playing like, like this. And so this very relaxed motion of the shoulders down, elbows by our side, and minimal movement. And it's all connected arm, wrist, and finger. Uh, but right angles aren't good. And and tension's not good. And the tension in a, in a drummer could be manifested by the little pinky sticks mm-hmm. out, which is typical in, in less experienced drummers, especially if they have to play a snare drum roll for yeah. any of the time um that's you can feel this muscle here is tensing and and tension is 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 bad for the sound it's bad for the body of course uh and it's bad for creating any kind of rhythmic flow if you think of flow as being one one thing after another a wave of rhythm uh if it's like this that just has a very different flow Uh, uh so this brings up sorry to go on and on but no that's perfect that's what i wanted so this brings up you know what makes a piece of music swing yeah generally the 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 uh the triplet is made example of it's held up as the this is the paragon of of accomplishing the swing feel one triplet two triplet okay fine um I can think of a lot of music that has triplets that doesn't necessarily swing. Mm -hmm. And then to take it the other way, say, all right, well, let's let's um, let's think of or let me sing a a Charlie Parker type of fragment, jazz fragment. One, two, three. (laughs) Okay, so on and so forth. Where's a triplet? There are none. Mm. But it swings. We recognize that as yeah, that sounds like jazz. Your friends a uh, little bit south of you in Italy have a wonderful word for it called legato. Right. ba ba And I'm accenting the offbeat, which gives a little bit of the push. Yeah, the rhythm is rounded a little bit. But a triplet alone won't won't suffice. The smoothness or legato, this the vocal quality is such an essential part of, of, I think, understanding what makes jazz sound like jazz. Jazz, uh, the call and response, the blues scale, this is all vocal music. You know? right. and anyway, I don't know how we got from uh, videotape to that, but we did. <laughs> it's
0: totally fine. I, I like that. It's how we play in a way, right? I mean, we, we oh, have yeah. one oh, idea I... and one idea leads to the other and like a comment of somebody yeah. else can spark something Totally exactly. different, and it's not the point of maybe the question that was starting the whole thing, it's more the journey and the process. And Very good, the journey. I, one of the greatest things in your book, uh, it's just my personal high point, no, I... uh, is that one line that Jaco says to you, don't think, just concentrate.
1: Yeah, stop thinking so much. Yeah. Just concentrate. Yeah. Yeah, we tend to uh, uh, overthink things. I, I know I do, um, and and I was second guessing a lot of my drumming choices. Um, if two actors are doing a scene, if one of them is second guessing his or her reaction, they're not listening. The scene. scene won't play. Yeah, you know they just have to trust each other. And what they really have to do is they have to listen right to each other that's that's the rule
0: yeah you know it's what all the actors say like acting is listening and reacting not like thinking of your line and thinking of your part it's more listening right
1: but how many of us in real conversation we just we're just waiting for the other person to stop talking (laughs)
0: yeah
1: i mean i'm i'm guilty of that yeah a lot of time Uh, But in in music, listening, it it, it answers so many of the uh, questions in terms of possible choices. Yeah. At the same time, when you're a drummer, you do need to uh, play with enough direction and authority, particularly with a larger group. Uh, I mean, uh, my favorite big band in the world, and I'm not just saying that, but my favorite big band in the world is the WDR yeah. big band in Cologne. I love these musicians.
0: Yeah, you have a great relationship I, with them also.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, I I love the fact that the band exists and that they play so often that there's just it just takes away the need for any number of things in rehearsal. You can really get into the heart of a piece of music mm-hmm. like right away um uh, so you know it, it it takes a measure of 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 leadership really i mean as as a drummer
0: and foresight yeah, also in a way right the band the band
1: is i'm sorry
0: a foresight also in a way right uh you know thinking ahead a little bit because you're anticipating some section or something you have to prepare a section you know when you're talking about big band
1: yeah, yeah, sure. You have you're you're driving the bus, you know, you can't yeah. turn the corner and, 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 and run the bus into a brick wall. Yeah. You have to kind of know where you're going. But the but the band you know looks uh looks to uh quiet or gentle strength with good favor. Um it's 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 a it's a relationship of equals and yet um the drummer and the lead trumpet player are you know, we are the benevolent uh, policemen. Ooh. We have to be in charge. We, we can't um, uh, say to the band, uh, "Oh, you know, if, if you all wanted a little slower, that's fine." Yeah. Uh, no, they're they're depending on me to 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 pay attention to those things, um, and. Uh, and that's a thing that when when you have experience, I think just you know having played big bands for for so many years, uh, that quality just sort of comes naturally, and so it's that quiet confidence. you know I, I don't have to hit anyone over the head with it, but but um, I try to be uh, uh, consistent in terms of tempo and and unbudgeable. Yeah. <laughs> In terms of uh tempo and because then that then everyone can not have to worry about that yeah and and it makes it easier, and then they play better, and when they play better, I sound better yeah, everything sounds better and that's another
0: thing that I'm really amazed by when I hear you play that you have such a rock solid time, and I was wondering how you uh attained that, and um my only um guess is. I'm sure you had it before, but going through uh, playing with Zavinol and Wayne Shorter is, is also something of a of a time school, uh, in my mind at least. It sounds like mm. that, uh, but I'm sure you wouldn't have been hired for the job if you wouldn't have great time before.
1: I had I had pretty good time, not not great. Um, back in the day, uh, Fast and Faster was kind of the 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 modus operandi, you know, we want it more exciting. It, it speeds up. I mean, the first time I had to work in the studio with a metronome or a click track, I was shocked. You mm-hmm. know, I and I never practiced with a metronome, uh, so to make something exciting generally meant just to play it a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. So then, to be able to create forward motion and to create excitement, but to not speed up. It's, it's it's not always really bad to speed up or slow down. Music will often breathe that way. Yes. Um but it, it in general it does bother me. A, a common situation with a with a with a band is you're playing a ballad like uh, uh some misty. Look at me. All right, so then you get to the solo section and then that almost always settles to this very comfortable it's not a it's not a double time anymore that's okay but when you go back to the slow tempo feel all of a sudden the song is really slow you know um and then the, that part of the song doesn't work anymore I've seen some bands where they'll They'll just autocorrect when they get to the slow tempo. They don't go full halftime. They they cheat on the math. Mm. Well, generally, it's simpler just to, to try to, to keep a consistent pulse. Um, practicing with the metronome really does help. Mm. Uh, not to be really obsessive about it, but just to be comfortable. It was a guitar player, Steve Kahn, and I mentioned this in the book as well, that uh, I viewed the the click or the metronome as my enemy, Mm -hmm. as a hostile agent or something. And and he said, no, the the click is your friend. You know, make peace with it, make Mm -hmm. music. And as soon as I changed that, then I was like, okay. You know, Um, in general, if you have to work with a a click track, for most drummers, it works best if you we call it chasing. The click to always be a little bit behind it. Uh-huh. If you get in front of it, it's it's pretty difficult to 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 get out of that. Mm. Uh, but if you're always chasing it, then generally the backbeats feel feel good. Um, but I mean, the real masters of that, uh, Jim Keltner, uh, right. has always been amazing. Jeff Porcaro was considered like one of the undisputed masters of, of back placement and and it's still one of the wonderful mysteries of life how he did that because mathematically it, it doesn't it's just something he was so musical and, and and just really understood the way a a drum beat should feel. Yeah. And there's a lot that there's a lot that jazzers, quote unquote, can learn from really good pop or rock drummers.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, uh, I used to be kind of snobbish, uh, you know, uh, elitist about jazz, but the the moment I began to, like, wait a minute, pay more attention to the way some of these drummers would make a beat feel, Mm. there's a lot to learn here. Mm, Right. Mm.
0: So... Uh, was there anything that Zavinola or Wayne told you about or their perception of time?
1: Well, Joe, Joe didn't like for the music to slow down. Yeah. I, I mean, I so. he, he, he definitely didn't like that. Um, Joe would often try to uh, uh, get me to play a beat one way or the other. Um, and You know, he did this with all the drummers. But, he would say let me show you what i mean and he'd sit down at the drums and he'd start playing something a beat that had absolutely nothing to do stylistically or even tempo wise with with the piece we were working on and it took it took me a while till i realized it was just he wanted the bounce that he was showing me mm-hmm. he wanted in other words it wasn't don't play this beat literally but Get this quality mm-hmm. to your beat, um, uh, and it was just kind of like a boogie woogie. He just you know he he just wanted it to swing, even it if sounds it sounds like rocking in rhythm a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. I just had like to think about it. almost like a Cab Calloway thing, you know, like that's that's what he wanted, and. Uh, again, that that took some some years and growing up time for me to finally like. That's what that's what the guy was talking about.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Can you talk a little bit about your relationship with uh, Vince Mendoza? Uh-huh. Because you've done so many great things together, and I, I think it goes back a long way. And he's written so many tunes also for albums for you, and you've done so many. Interesting projects together. I wonder how it started and how it evolved.
1: Well, Vince is a, a genius I mean, he's one of one of the greatest musicians. I've ever known um, If I have if I have one very strong talent um, I would like to think it's that that I I can spot talent, you know, I, I recognize talented people and and he was not easy to miss i mean uh, he came up to me i was a, a visiting artist at ohio state university and uh, hi um you know i wrote this piece you might want to look at it and that's kind of like yeah oh, yes yeah, see you kid um i was having lunch or something and then we rehearse and and here's this piece of music that he wrote for my visit and he based the entire drum part around the hi-hat pattern for Teen Town. You know, one, two, three, four. Yeah. And it was it was challenging. I mean, it was hard. Um, and I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You know, I'm looking at the music. And, and so I had this immediate respect for this young musician. And, and we just kind of spent the rest of the day hanging out. Talking and and I was learning more about him. Uh, I went back to I was living in New York at the time. I went back to New York and I had a uh, uh, a chance to write something for the theater. This was my first scoring opportunity, um, and it was for a Shakespeare play, Richard II. Uh, my instrumentation would be synthesizer, keyboard, French horn, and percussion. Uh, so I I called up the the best percussionist I knew in New York at the time. This was a guy named Gordon Gottlieb and a French horn player named Jerry Peel, who whose name you would spot on early Vince Mendoza albums. I wanted to make sure I got the orchestration right in terms of the register and just not writing something stupid mm-hmm. because I, I had booked Jerry and, and I didn't have a whole lot of time. And so I, I knew the studio time needed to be spent with him playing the French horn, not with us rewriting a, a poorly written French horn part. So, um, I, I mailed the music to Vince. I said, "Hey Vince, wonder if you could uh, help me out, you know here." I get the music back, and of course, he couldn't resist. He he fixed all my voicing errors and yeah. and and added, you know, just a couple things he thought would make it sound better. I was like, "Holy cow, this guy's amazing!" <laughs> um, and then he wanted to do a recording, and he asked me to to book the rhythm section musicians. And he contacted Marvin Stamm, the great trumpeter, and said, "Would Marvin, would you hire the horn section?" So um, I put together the rhythm section for him, and then uh, after that, all of a sudden, I had a chance to make. Uh, it was my second album, and it was for the Denon label in Japan. The album that uh, was titled Transition, mm-hmm. um, and I invited Vince again to work on some of that. And I said, if you want to contribute some tunes, so that was the first album that came out with his compositions on it. Mm. Um, what's great about Vince not only that his writing is is brilliant, um, he's he's a great conductor great rehearsing conductor mm. uh, and sometimes he's he's pretty strict with the band almost like like a like a, a music school mm. teacher or conductor i mean he'll he'll you know point his fingers at musicians and play that and i asked i asked one of the i think it was one of the trombonists or saxophonist i said does the band get annoyed when vince does that They said no no the, the band sounds so much better and yeah. even after he's gone for several weeks everyone's really it holds up they they're trying to play up to this level that that he demands so he's 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 a an uncompromising musician
0: i love his songs on on the on the you never know album you know i'm in love with oh, that the, the trio yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in love with that record, and it's one of my favorite trio albums.
1: Oh, thank you, thank and... you. That, uh, yeah, they, and and not easy tunes. They, you know, and I asked him once. I said, Vince, just write, just write an eight measure, just real simple thing that we can.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Couldn't do it. <laughs> so and, he's, and so I'd get these things, and then John Taylor, the wonderful pianist, rest in peace. Yeah, uh, John who could come up with complicated, wonderfully complicated, sophisticated things on his own. I hated having to learn someone else's complicated, sophisticated uh-huh. <laughs> music. Um, but uh, yeah, Vince's tunes gave that album combined with John's writing. I only had one tune, but it but that's really an, gave
0: an amazing it, tune, Peter. Just my, tune.
1: Yeah, I love that tune. Thanks. Uh, Manfred hated it when we did it, but <laughs> But luckily, it it it, it 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 stayed on the record. Yeah, uh, that's on the lake. Yeah, beautiful. And most song. of my songs are written in the key of C and are usually uh, <laughs> simple, almost to a criminal mm. degree. But uh, Vin- Vince's is, is great. I uh, a lovely story. Uh, and if you were to ask me what was maybe my favorite album I ever worked on, it would probably be the Joni Mitchell. Both sides mm. now, yeah, and we're in um, Air Studios in London, uh, and I invited the composer Mark Anthony Turnage, who I've done a lot of things with, including with the Bonn you know, Beethoven Halle Orchestra. We did the concerto, uh, the the Ensemble Moderne in Frankfurt. We did Blood on the Floor, scorched, uh, the scorched with the Frankfurt Radio Orchestra. So, anyway, so I invite Mark to the session because he's a huge Vince Mendoza fan. And uh, Mark is sitting in the drum room with me. So the orchestra was in the large room. The acoustic bass is in a small room. The drums are in a, their own large room just for isolation. Uh, and Joni was in her vocal booth. So Mark is sitting in a room with me with headphones and we're listening. It's the first measures of uh, uh, the the ballad, Answer Me, My Love. Mm. And Vince wrote a thing for six French horns. And I'm listening to it and I'm loving what I'm hearing, but I'm counting because I have to make an entrance. So I'm kind of focusing and uh, I feel my shirt get pulled and turn the mark, take the headphone half off. I said, what? He said, you hear that? He said, it's like Brahms, only better. (laughs) 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 And uh, I had to admit, I said, yeah, I think you're right.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's such a deep record.
1: Yeah, it's wonderful. The writing is, uh, you know, there are a few musicians, only a few, but some of them are rangers who, one of them uh, felt that the music was overwritten. (laughs) And I, and I thought about it because this was a a musician whose opinion I respected, but I was trying to figure out what did that mean?
0: Mm.
1: And then I thought about it in terms of Joni, and then, of course, I thought about who was the other musician to work with Joni who was totally over the top in terms of musical input, in terms of the fearlessness. Jocko. And, and all of a sudden, I was like, wow. I haven't even talked about this with Vince, but, but Vince and Jocko were the two Musicians from the jazz world of things. I mean, Wayne is Wayne. Wayne is like Picasso or yeah. even more brilliant. And, and Herbie's Herbie. Herbie's great. But but Joni only allowed a couple of musicians to come into her life, into her musical life, and take charge in a way that that not only was their thing evident, but it, it really just... It, their. Their contributions are so interwoven with her songs. Yeah. yeah and the, the, you know she and she had strong collaborators in Tom Scott and Stephen Stills and plenty of other people. And I'm no Joni expert, but uh, from what I can see, the, the 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 to the degree that she allowed Jocko into her music and Vince, yeah, is unmatched you know, just uh, the little bit of work I did, like on the Mingus album and with Henry Louis. I mean, it was musical collaborations involved everyone just feeling very trustful of one another. We were, and, and, and I was only on, on Mingus for a couple of days. And then I hung around for some of the overdubs, uh, you know the horns, and, and I did a little bit of percussion. Yeah, but it, but it was it was just a very um, it's, it's the only way you can make that music. Is that everyone's guard yeah. goes down, and then in that sense of, of emotional surrender, which is very much a part of uh, if two people even had a physical relationship, it's the same thing that. Mm. that a uh, even though everyone has their clothes on, there's this, there's this, uh, this magical thing that happens. And when you leave the studio, you're like, "Wow, that was, yeah, unlike anything else, you know." Mm. And and the closest thing I could relate it to now, since we've brought it up, would be as if you were having a physical relationship with somebody because it's just, it's that. Um, it's that intimate. It's that exposed. Mm. Very true. I think I don't know. <laughs> well,
0: to me, to me, it sounds it sounds right and sounds how I how I feel when I play. It makes, it makes sense. I mean, I,
1: I, I mean, Larry Klein. Um, you know, I should mention him just because I think the production he did on on the both sides now uh was was brilliant. He he knew how to make all that intimacy work somehow yeah. and and he knew what to tell every participant. Mm. Uh, because for that many people you you need you know someone's got to control the traffic.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, he did a really really excellent job on that. And I mean, you know, and he and Joni uh were married for for quite a few yeah. years. Um beyond that I, I wasn't really privy to anything about their relationship, but uh, in terms of her regard for him and her trust even uh, even though they weren't married at that point, um, she still trusted him with the importance and the intimacy yeah. of that. And, and, you know and any record that's great, that layer or level of exposure, I think exists on some in some manner. Yeah, um, it has to uh, for it to have the, the the emotional longevity for people to want to keep going back to it. I've I've played on a lot of records and a lot of records, you know, if 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 no one ever heard them again, the world's still going to keep spinning. But but there there are a few records where you feel like yeah, these really are an important part of yeah the gear mechanism of the universe.
0: You've been of quite a lot, a lot of those, you know. Um, it's amazing. I
1: know.
0: Hmm. Uh, how I is am grateful for that? Yeah, and we're grateful <laughs> on the other end. Um, is Joni kind of did she give a couple of notes to the to the musicians once on Mingus and also both sides now, or was it more the role of Larry's or uh, Vince's in in the recording?
1: Uh... Do you remember? Well, both sides now. Uh, I mean, if Joni had a wish, uh, she would just say, uh, you know, maybe regarding tempo, or something. But but otherwise, I mean, the directions I got most of the notes were were either from Larry or or, or Vince. Um, Mingus, uh, of course, Joni, you know. Um, was speaking for Mingus and yeah. and so we had to um, kind of take her direction or follow her lead uh but then you know of course once Jocko and herbie got in there, then uh they were they were being Jocko and herbie, but they <laughs> they were very sensitive to Joni in that you know she had recorded a lot of that music multiple times with great musicians i don't i don't want to say great bands cuz i don't i don't know if the combinations were great bands but there were some very high profile players but the impression i got um was that none of those things really worked because joni felt i think intimidated or was made to feel a little bit like you know, okay, Joni, uh, you can sing, but it's the boys' club here. Yeah. Um, because a lot of the music just wasn't working, and and then here I am. I'm I'm kind of googly eyed because I'm just thinking of all the nights I listened to Joni's records mm. you know, that got me uh, either connected me from one personal, emotional peak or valley to another.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, You know, I mean, you fell in love, you listened to a Joni Mitchell album.
0: Yeah.
1: And and so I was, she could sense I was very much in awe, and yet at the same time, I was Jocko's buddy. You know, I was his drumming buddy. I mean, the only reason I was on that record was because Jocko insisted. Mm. Jocko said, the, the only way I'll do it, Joni, is if you call Peter. Because she didn't really know anything about my drumming. She'd seen me in a rehearsal with Weather Report. Um, But we were, I think Jocko may have been made aware by Henry Louis, like, you know, this is sort of like one of our last chances to get this to work because it's not working with all these other all-star bands. Uh, and, and Jocko, was, it was the first time they were trying this Mingus album with electric bass, which I don't think Charles Mingus was particularly thrilled about. Mm. Um, but uh, Joni was comfortable. Yeah. And she wrote the words and she had to be able to sing them. And And we were all very much on her side. Mm. That's how I remember it. Yeah,
0: Beautiful. Um I was wondering how the process went when either wayne jacko or uh or Joe would bring in the tune, how you would learn the tune, how you guys would rehearse uh that that music how was the process
1: Jacko always had a very specific idea you know rhythmically um, and what he wanted the band to do Zavinol would Compose his music by recording what he played, and then he would transcribe everything he wouldn't change a note, but he would edit maybe some of of uh, and and oftentimes he would improvise these things with some kind of a, a drum machine or or rhythm box mm-hmm. uh, so there'd be at least a beginning indication of of an approach mm. Uh, Wayne brought everything in uh, written down uh, for the keyboard. And it was like a a miniature score, almost like a a chamber music score. Not quite an orchestral score. Uh, Beautifully notated, but with a lot of sharps and a lot of flats, a lot of accidentals. Mm. uh, So that it wasn't the easiest thing to read. Uh, Very dense voicing. So we would always begin a Wayne tune as a ballad. Hmm. And then try to figure out, like once they got comfortable, like hey, this kind of works uh, So a lot of times, like uh, like the tune sightseeing would be a good example. Um, Great. We're we're reading through this music, and then and then I think with Jocko, like hey Wayne, you know this this this, this let's just look at page five and six. This yeah. this is pretty cool, and we would repeat it. And we played with tempos and then some kind of a beat. And I wanted to do a jazz tune, you know, so right. I was eager to. Uh, so I'm playing the jazz thing. Um, and it it worked because originally, you know, it was like a. Thousand. So we got it into jazz mode. Uh, then. We. Uh, We recorded it, and then Joe was like, the tune's got to go to some other place. It really needs to do something else. So, same tempo, um, I started trying to come up with a kind of a cross of a beat, like imagining what would Eric Ravat play or -hmm. what might they have done on Mysterious Traveler. Yeah. So I, I came up with this beat, three, four, which kind of almost like a slide in the family stone beat in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and Greg Erico, in fact, did play with weather reports. So it it had, it definitely had an early seventies kind of weather reporting drum funk vibe thing. Um, And so we just vamped with that and recorded it. Jocko overdubbed these antique cymbals, playing them and muting them. So that's that metallic sound you hear that you can't quite identify. Uh, Jocko also overdubbed. He had gotten hold of a didgeridoo. So uh, he's playing the Australian didgeridoo. Recorded that as a separate piece, and then they just intercut it in in the middle of the tune and then for the end and and made a fade out. Uh, So... A lot of Weather Report tunes uh, were a result of that wonderful studio magic. That, yeah. Uh, that particularly Joe and Jocko were really energetic at, yeah. at, at, at creating.
0: Especially sightseeing. I, I was wondering, because I transcribed the, the song, because I love it, I love it to death, uh, but uh, I was always wondering, I wasn't not 100% sure if you guys would play on the form, or if you would blow in a kind of free ish manner, because sometimes it sounds like you're exactly on the form and then abstracting it. I'm, could you? It's
1: probably, you know, to be honest, we probably were playing on the form and then somebody got lost or we just went off form. And okay. If it's out of good later, it's like, fine. I mean, a lot of what the band did was not like, okay, well, let's try this take four you know they just started rolling and then we just played and we'd keep playing and uh, maybe you know hey let's try that again while we were playing but usually it was once we started we just played until we stopped and then they would listen and if they liked it they would chop it up and use it hmm. wow uh, so we almost never did okay uh, weather report take 3 uh, but uh, the rule in a in a weather report studio residency or, or the, you know, session, if you want to call it that, uh, was that there would always be some form of tape rolling in record mode. Yeah. Uh, at the very least there'd always be a cassette, um, with the board feed going into it. Uh, then they would have a reel to reel tape for, for kind of a pretty medium quality live mix. And then, uh, the multi-track whenever, uh, if they had enough tape mm-hmm. to spare. Yeah. Uh, the final album that Jaco and I did that had these two songs called Dara Factor. Yeah. That was kind of a, okay, we're going to do a jam. And they got this very large oversized reel of tape, two inch tape. And, and we invited all the, I remember all the people that worked at power station it was all kind of, were, were our audience for our jam. Indeed. And then we tried to come up with like, okay. And, and, we we all were a little bit self conscious, I think we felt at least I did, felt a little bit put on the spot. And then I said, Joe, what if what if we did something kind of just simple like this? I think it'd be fun. And you go, like what? And I've just played this simple beat. He said fun he goes What's fun about that? There's <laughs> nothing fun about that. <laughs> it's like something else. So I sort of came up with a backwards. Beat and then Joe was like, "Okay, that." I mean, he was just like, was a, "Kind of grunted like, okay, that was a l- little better."
0: How How long was uh, the jam in the end?
1: I, I don't know, twenty five minutes or something. Okay, yeah. And then and I think the tape ran out. Uh, and then we 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 made two short pieces out of it called Dara Factor.
0: Yeah,
1: and we brought it back to Los Angeles. We did the editing at the Village. Station in L.A. and did some overdubbing. Steve Percaro loaned his uh, Yamaha GS1 to Joe Zavano and and then we split up in teams because those records always fell behind schedule. Mm. And uh, Jaco and I d- handled the editing on one of them, as I re- as I recall.
0: Mm. I had a bootleg of Weather Report, and I'm not sure if you were playing because it was only a link online that I that I saw. But it was so cool to see and hear Weather Report playing Night and Day. I'm not sure if you were on that or if it's uh, Alex Acuna. I'm I'm not sure. But do you remember playing standards? The Cole Porter, you know? Yeah. Playing Night and Day, yeah. you are the one, did not Yeah. Well, it I mean, was uh, Jaco. That, Jaco was for four, sure.
1: That, that might have been Alex. I mean, no, we did um I don't remember Night and Day. We we there was a concert in Dallas where we played some standards. Um, soundchecks we used to do. Uh, uh, we would do the days of wine and roses. Are you, ah. is, are
0: you sure that's not that's not what no, you're thinking of? It? it was it was night and day. I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. But the thing is, the link is gone. The link is gone, and I can't find it anymore. So, All
1: right. well, if you if you find it, let me know. Yeah, uh, we did we did days of wine and roses at soundchecks. Uh, we also used to do the theme from Goldfinger.
0: Oh,
1: wow! I'd love to
0: hear
1: that. Do you have any recordings of that? I don't know. We, I mean, back then we didn't even think you we know, worry about recording. It was only because I used to record some of that stuff that we that we had any tapes. Yeah, the band just didn't. The, I mean, the rule was they when I mean when Weather Report would finish an album one of the first things they would do would be to take all the all the outtakes and erase everything they would destroy the tapes joe said i don't want you know something happens to us i don't want cbs coming out with stuff we didn't want to wow. come out i think it's a tragedy when they put out so they just they would they they they, they would have them bulk erased uh, And luckily, Uh, some stuff escaped that fate. Yeah, Uh, yeah, it's a shame. And and I think Joe later realized, like, yeah, that wasn't maybe the smartest thing. But (laughs) at the time, he thought that was, he was making some sort of statement to himself.
0: Yeah, I guess.
1: (laughs) To the small audience. But Goldfinger,
0: Goldfinger, oh man. And Daisy Warren Roses, I'd love to hear you guys play that.
1: Wow. Well. Okay, all the all the traders out there. If anyone finds yeah. it, you let me and Pablo know. Okay. <laughs> hey, thank okay. you for your enthusiasm and uh, this chance to share some stories. It's fun.
0: Thank you so much for doing it, and thanks You're for welcome. all the inspiration. Bye bye.
1: Thanks.